According to Grand Valley State University, as of 2021, there are 5.5 million family-owned businesses in the United States. Family-owned businesses contribute to 57% of the GDP and employ 63% of the American workforce. Which means that family-owned businesses employ approximately 98 million people across America. You can add Andrew Johnson to this very list. He's an entrepreneur, inventor, and business owner who's blindly stumbling across the business landscape, hoping to make a positive change. He's lucky enough to work with his equally talented brothers, who ensure that the core business, an industrial distributor, continues to make money so that they don't all starve, which allows Andrew to continue to follow his dreams. Their latest endeavor is called Shelfaware, a tech startup, which is attempting to redefine industrial supply chains by leveraging RFID technology, collaboration, and the power of data. He joined me this week to tell me all about it and how he runs a successful business within the landscape of his family. I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. Johnson began our conversation by detailing the inside story behind his family's business lineage and how they've reached a place of prominence today. Sure, yeah, there's there's a lot of great family business stories out here, but we have one of the more unique ones. Um, my dad started this company. It's uh, He's not very good at naming companies. Well, I don't know. I guess you could argue he's good at naming companies, but we sell O-rings and the company name is O-ring Sales and Service. And O-rings is one of those products that is in everything, but nobody really knows about it. It's always buried inside of uh, machines and automobiles and appliances. And and you never know about the, the poor little O-ring unless it doesn't work. And when things start leaking, then then you care about it. So he started this company back in 1982 before I was born, and it's a uh, it's an industrial distributor. So we sell these O-rings and seals and gaskets to uh, equipment manufacturers, folks that make uh, hydraulic equipment and pneumatic equipment, and farm equipment and appliances. And it's been a very successful little company. And then our story changed a lot when um, when my brothers and I. So I have three brothers, and we all decided to uh, come work for my dad and for the company. And we got our act together in 2012 and really started working uh, on the business instead of just inside the business as a normal employee. 
we started to take some risks and take some chances and start to innovate, start to invent some things. And that led us down a path uh, where we took this little family business and turned it into a, an innovation machine. We just began to um, tear down our old processes and build up new processes that more more often than not used software and process automation. Uh, we made some inventions along the way and eventually it spun itself into um, a very efficient family business that was able to grow and scale and, and do some new and cool things, but also spawned uh, another business called ShelfAware. And that's the business that, that I'm running today. And, and ShelfAware grew out of our family business. It's a system that monitors uh, supply chains and replenishes supply chains by, by leveraging RFID technology, which is radio frequency identification. But basically it's a smart label that we put on the product and we ship the products to the consumers. And that smart label allows us to track the product's movement. So we can see if the, if the product goes off of their shelf and when it's off their shelf, we know it's gone, we send them more. And we invented ShelfAware as a system and deployed it for our family business and then eventually uh, launched it into its own company, and that's what that's what I'm operating today. Uh, fabulous, and I know uh, that you run it with your brothers, as you said. Now, I'm an identical twin brother, which you may not know about me. So I'm wondering how that uh, fina- uh, family dynamic works, because I know oh, for me, having an identical twin brother we finish each other's sentences sometimes. So tell me for yourself, how does that family dynamic work? So yeah, family business dynamics, uh, they can go really, really great or really, really bad. It's very rarely anything in between. So it's either going to be awesome or terrible. And, and my situation uh, is um, a little nuanced here. So my three brothers, um, when I tell the short version of our business story, I just call them my brothers to keep it short. But the long story is they're actually my brother-in-laws. So I am one of only uh, only boy in the family. I have three sisters. And my three sisters married uh, very entrepreneurial men. And my brother-in-laws all uh, joined the company. So the working with my brother-in-laws works actually really, really well. And I think I owe most of that to the fact that they're very different than me. And they're different than one another. So the fact that all four of us have different passions and different abilities and different interests keeps us from having any real serious conflicts. We're, we're pretty good about staying in our own lanes and, and doing our own thing. Uh, and we've been very good about kind of um, determining whose responsibility is what inside the company and uh, understanding that we should stick to what, what we've been assigned and what we're good at and, and trying not to uh, meddle too much with what, what the other guys are doing. So we work together really well as a team because of, because of those differences really. Uh, sometimes staying in, in your lane uh, leads to success, doesn't it? It does. I think it allows a team to function at a high level. If a team uh, and has players on the team that and the roles overlap too much, it can lead to lots of conflict and people second guessing each other. And you just need to trust in the, the team member that they're going to do their job and do a good job with it. And if you have that trust and you know you can rely on them, uh, then the team can really move quickly and do a lot of great things together. And Andrew, as a successful, I guess, millennial uh, entrepreneur, tell me, what do you think is the key to uh, succeeding in business as an entrepreneur in the 21st century? Wow. Um, 
you could take the answer. I mean, I got a lot of things swirling in my head. Um, I would say success is dependent on many variables. And so the answer I would give would probably depend on who I'm, who I'm talking to and what, what industry they're pursuing. So I'll just talk specifically to the industrial marketplace. So this would be manufacturers, industrial distributors. I think if, if you want to be successful in the future in this manufacturing and industrial industry uh, in North America, you're going to have to you're going to have to be prepared to throw everything that you've known out and consider a new way of, of doing things and accommodate really the, the demographic shift that's happening uh, with the new workforce, with the millennial workforce. They have a whole set of different preferences. Uh, they prefer to communicate via email. They're okay with virtual meetings. Uh, they like phones and mobile apps. Uh, they're hip to technology. They they, um, they have a whole set of different preferences that if you as a business owner and entrepreneur don't recognize that coming change in demographic tendencies, you're going to, um, you're going to find yourself in a very non-competitive situation. So that would be my, my advice to any entrepreneur in the industrial manufacturing space is trying to look towards the future and plan around that, that change in demographics um, and, and try and create systems that are, that are innovative. Uh, and then I think on top of that, I would say, be patient. Nothing moves really quickly. You have to be very consistent over a long period of time uh, before you can see success in a lot of these innovation stories. And when we talk about business innovation, Andrew, uh, uh, since you're uh, an entrepreneur who's had uh, plenty of experience, I'm also wondering your thoughts on uh, the evolution of business uh, innovation and how you can make it uh, both scalable and sustainable as well. Yeah. So our approach uh, to business innovation that, that has worked out, it's been very scalable and sustainable, is uh, an approach that, um, you know, I, this is not a unique term. This is one I've, I've heard thrown around quite a bit. We didn't really know we were taking this approach uh, until I, I basically learned later that that we uh, had adopted the approach called the money ball approach. And so I know you like sports. It uses an analogy. It's based off of the Oakland A's, uh, Billy Bean and the manager of the Oakland A's. We're really the first organization to take this, what they call now the, the money ball approach. They looked at baseball players on a team uh, statistically and used sabermetrics to analyze their skills and how they would impact uh, other players on the team. And ultimately, it led them to some great success with really a small budget. And so in business, that's what I advise people to do from an innovation standpoint is use the money ball theory. And the money ball theory in business means that instead of buying something very expensive, like a new piece of software that's very expensive and swinging for the fences, looking for that home run innovation, what you're going to do instead is plan for a series of smaller incremental innovations, small wins that will eventually lead to a big success. And so these small wins are gonna be what gets us around the basis of innovation. And that big success is gonna be that, that goal or aspiration we're seeking to attain. Uh, in my family business, um, it's, it's, it's a distribution business so we're moving physical products. So our big goal was all around moving that physical product very efficiently trying to move a lot of product by using less people. And we had a series of small innovations uh, that allowed our company to move that product accurately and quickly, uh, but without using lots of people. So that's what I would advise. Anytime in business you try and just swing for the fences, I think your chances of striking out are, are really high. And then you're going to leave a lot of money on the table uh, after you strike out. So small wins, think 
think getting around the bases, think money ball, Oakland A's. That's my advice. Uh, Andrew, I know that uh, technology and the marketplace is an area that you spend a lot of time uh, talking to people about. And I know that you say, say that uh, sometimes uh, technology is slow to adapt. So I'm wondering if you can uh, uh, talk to me about that this afternoon. Yeah, people are really slow to change just in general. And um, I've seen a lot happen often in the industrial manufacturing space specifically um, if people have ideas that are uh, innovative and, and cool. Uh, the, the marketplace leaders tend to be slow to adopt those changes. And I think uh, that's human nature, partly. And also the industrial space can move slower. It's got some luxuries. Um, they don't have to move quite as fast because there's lots of um, variables that prevent them from, from needing to make quick decisions, mostly around engineering and product safety. Uh, so they're going to take their time and they're going to be somewhat cautious. Uh, but when something comes along like, like COVID, for instance, and completely flips the whole world on its head, I have found it pretty interesting because that, um, that chaos has uh, pressed a lot of people into changing quickly. So um, I think if you're going to look for a silver lining in COVID, the silver lining is it's forcing a lot of people that, that needed to change for quite a while, but were dragging their feet. Uh, it, it's forced them to make those changes now, which is good. It's good for our marketplace. And, and the country that's going to win is going to be the country that comes out ahead on the innovation race uh, towards automation and technology adoption in, the, in their manufacturing space. And Andrew, as you know, I was uh, born with a cerebral palsy and I do a lot of work in terms of, of workplace diversification for uh, individuals with disabilities. So I'm uh, curious to get your thoughts on uh, the advantage of hiring uh, people with disabilities and what that could mean uh, specifically for the business world and, and the industrial manufacturing world, which you know a little bit about. Yeah, I think um, there's certainly lots of advantages for hiring folks with disabilities. I think they have strong minds because um, they face lots of adversity every day. Um, the physical portion of the jobs that we're doing today in manufacturing, it's becoming less physical and more technical in nature. So as long as you have a, um, you know, a bright mind and an, a willingness to learn and to apply yourself, there's lots of jobs, I believe, that are, are going to continue to pop up in the manufacturing space that, that could be filled by folks with physical disabilities uh, because it's becoming less, much less a manual labor and much more of a, oh, a collaborative uh, technological platform uh, where you really got to apply your mind and your, your, your skill set, uh, manipulating robots per se or automation equipment or uh, working in a project setting uh, through planning. All of those things are kind of coming to the forefront, and it's uh, probably a great place for folks to look um, in the future for employment. Absolutely. And Andrew, I want to dive a little bit into self-aware and its mission. You talked a little bit earlier about it, but I'm wondering if you could dive into sort of the macro level of the mission of the company and how you hope it may evolve in the next five to 10 years. Yeah, so our... our um... Our macro view of shelfware, um, it, it's really, it's an ambitious goal. What we're hoping to do with it is uh, as, a, as a supply chain automation platform, we're hoping to equip independent and specialized suppliers 
to work together collaboratively to supply some of the industry's largest consumers. And so what we do with, with Shelfware is we take our hardware and software, we put it in the hands of very talented, specialized independent distributors, and we allow them to run their own automated supply chains using our smart packaging technology in their own marketplace. And then after they uh, begin to install it in their marketplace, and inevitably the, the consumers that are, that are interacting with Shelfware and consuming the inventory, they say, hey, this system's great. We'd really like to... Uh, We'd really like to put other products and other supply chains on this platform, and they can do so. And so since the platform's agnostic, we can work collaboratively with multiple suppliers at one single consumer. So the consumer gets the benefit of one single interface uh, that would allow them to automate multiple product vertical suppliers, and they only have to train their employees on one system, how to interact with one thing, uh, and, and they get one collective view of all of their supply chain data through our Shelfware online portal. And so that's what we're attempting to do is, is we call it crowdsourcing or cloud sourcing, but basically the, the idea of putting a lot of little suppliers who are highly specialized, who have high levels of engineering and sales support, they're basically the best at what they do uh, and allow them to continue to focus on their core competencies, but work together with other suppliers to, to supply those giant consumers. So that's our broader vision for the company. Uh, the power of Shelfware, of course, is in our, our supply chain automation technology. But I think coupled with this collective platform play, it's going to be an extremely powerful uh, force in the industrial distribution marketplace in the, in the years to come. And again, Andrew, since you have a wealth of um, experience, I'm, I'm wondering your thoughts on emerging from COVID from a business sense and the principles or or, or tactics that entrepreneurs should should take in your opinion to emerge uh, strongly from COVID? Yeah, um, I think um, chaos is, uh, again, a great place to to be the change agent. Uh, and, and I think an, an out of all of the, the ashes of COVID, there will emerge some entrepreneurs who have some innovative ways for people to uh, learn how to communicate differently. Uh, whether it's virtual or perhaps in person in a safe manner, there'll be lots of innovation and entrepreneurialism around that. Uh, you're going to see a further adoption uh, in technology in people's lives um, um, in and around how they, how they do their shopping, how they do uh, their buying decisions. And so I think um, the chaos that is COVID and out of those ashes, there will, there'll be plenty of opportunity. Entrepreneurs just need to look for those opportunities and again be patient be consistent work hard it's always going to be a grind it's never going to be easy um, but there there will be opportunities out of there the one thing that that concerns me at least in this is probably true for canada as well but north america in general the united states for sure there is a lot of growing regulation uh from the federal government and states governments that that are um continuing to pile up and that regulation that piles up on, on the heads of entrepreneurs just makes it even more difficult for us to enter the market with new ideas and new systems. And so I am hopeful that the governments will see that overregulation is more or less snuffing out new ideas and new businesses, and that's going to drive out innovation, uh, which is not great for us as a country in the long run. So that is something, you know, that concerns me post-COVID is, is the, the just, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's public safety, uh, or liability, 
or any number of reasons, the regulations, while they might have great intentions, collectively, they're a huge barrier for entrepreneurialism. And Andrew, I know you live out there in Kansas City. So I'm, I'm curious, next time I'm in Kansas City, I've never been to Kansas City, so I'm curious, what are uh, some good barbecue spots? I need to oh, man. hit up there, buddy. Man, there are so many. Um, well, our favorite, which is local to us, is called Joe's Kansas City, and it's Joe's is phenomenal. Um, kind of the oldest and the best known nationally is uh, probably going to be Arthur Bryant's. They're still, still around. Um, I'd say that the food quality and the ambiance is not what it used to be. Uh, so another great crowd favorite if you're going to come visit, if you want a little more high-class experience, would be Jack Stack Fiorella's. Uh, and they have several locations around Kansas City. But, you know, you really can't go wrong. There's just so many good barbecue places to get Kansas City barbecue um, that we could stay busy all week, going to lunch, going to dinner, and uh, I'll put 20 pounds on you. Well, you know, I'll uh, uh, do some extra laps around the track the next time I go walking <laughs> and to prepare for the trip. And I took some notes, so I, I'll uh, put those into practice when I come visit Kansas City. But I'm curious, Andrew, when, when you're away from the office, what, what do you like to do for fun, buddy? Well, um, I don't have a lot of hobbies for a long time because b between the businesses and the startup and then I have three children, uh, so I'd say my hobbies for the last 10 years were keeping my children alive was, was probably my number one hobby. Number two hobby uh, that is now emerging because my children are getting a little bit older, so they're a little more self-sufficient. Uh, I finally found some free time again. So my newest hobby is working on a truck. So I got a project truck. I bought an old truck. Uh, it's a Chevy, 84 Chevy Blazer. Uh, and I've kind of been um, working on that. It's, it's my daily driver. So I drive it to work and back every day. Uh, and obviously old trucks like that take a lot of TLC. So that's probably my, my newest hobby outside of that. I love to be outdoors. So hiking, fishing, hunting, have always been passions of mine. And as my kids are getting older, I'm starting to be able to do those kind of things with them. So. Yeah. yeah when we get to, to this part of the country, I, you know, I live on the Detroit border and every year they have the a dream cruise. You got to bring your, uh, truck up to uh, participate in the dream cruise next summer there oh I'd, I'd love Day. to i'd love to i'm actually going to be in detroit i won't have my truck i'm flying into detroit in two weeks uh because shuffler's got a factory install in uh, northern michigan in a small town called Petoskey, michigan uh kind of by traverse city and so i'll, I'll be up there i i I haven't spent a lot of time in upper michigan in the summer but i hear it's beautiful and i'm looking forward to some cooler temperatures on the lake shore uh, yeah, uh, late summer and early fall in Michigan is a beautiful time of year. So have uh, safe travels when you come this way, buddy. But I'm also uh, finally curious to ask you about your overall uh, personal and professional legacy and how you want that to be defined. Man, well, I'm 35. I haven't thought much about my legacy. Um, I think... If I could do anything, it would be to make a positive change in the U.S. manufacturing landscape towards a smart manufacturing future. So if I leave this industry better equipped to compete globally with manufacturers overseas, I will have done my job. Uh, that's, that's what I'd like to leave behind.
Absolutely. And tell me, Andrew, what's uh, the best way people uh, can get connected with you if they're so inclined? To yeah, if they'd like to get connected with me, if they're in the manufacturing industrial space and um, have questions or curious about shelfware, the best place is on LinkedIn. They can go to LinkedIn and search for Andrew Johnson Supply Chain Innovator. Uh, just type it all in. Uh, actually, Supply Chain Innovator is my last name because my first name is so common. Andrew Johnson's extremely common. So Andrew Johnson, Supply Chain Innovator, or they can go to YouTube and search Shelf Aware, all one word, Shelf Aware, and they'll find a whole series of videos on the Shelfware platform on YouTube and learn all about our platform. And of course, you can contact me through the, through the YouTube webpage as well. Fantastic. You know, Andrew, I'm better for uh, talking to you. You, I feel sm smarter than I did when I started this conversation to your time, energy, and efforts. On my behalf, I'm most appreciated, and I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon. It's most appreciated. Well, thank you. Bye. You're too kind. I really appreciate the opportunity, Kevin, to tell my story, and uh, I hope you uh, take care, and best of luck.